Section 7 of the Roman Empire of the Second Century by William Wolfe Capes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 3 Hadrian, AD 117 to 138, Part 2. There was yet another ancient land which had manifold attractions for the tourist. It was seemingly in later life that Hadrian tarried long in Egypt to explore the wonders of its art and study the genius of its people he looked no doubt with curious eye upon the pyramids the sphinxes and the giant piles of karnak and the rude lines may still be read upon the face of memnon's vocal statue which tell us of the visit of his wife sabina his curious fancy found enough to stir it in the secrets of the mystic love which had been handed down from bygone ages in the strange medley of the wisdom and the folly which crossed each other in the national thought in their strong hold on the belief in an unseen world and the moral government of providence in the animal worship which had plunged of late a whole neighbourhood into deadly feud about the conflicting claims of cat and ibis and made rival towns dispute in arms their right to feed in their midst the sacred bull called apis for the adoration of the rest he could not but admire the great museum of the ptolemies the magnificent seat of art and literature and science the home for centuries of so much academic wit and learning in that land of many wonders the people of alexandria were not the least in a letter to his brother-in-law which still remains we may see the mocking insight with which the emperor studied the changing moods of the great city full as it seemed to him of soothsayers astrologers and quacks of worshippers of christ and votaries of serapis passing in their fickleness from extreme of loyalty to that of license so industrious by instinct as to tolerate no idle lounger in their midst and yet withal so turbulent as to be incapable of governing themselves professing reverence for many a rival deity yet all alike paying their court to mammon but even as he scoffed at the fanciful extravagance of egypt he was unmanned by the spell of her distempered thought as he travelled on the nile we read he was busy with magic arts which called for a human victim one of his train a bithynian shepherd of rare beauty was ready to devote himself and died to give a moment's pleasure to his master another story tells us only that he fell into the river and died an involuntary death but both agree in this at least that hadrian loved him fondly mourned him deeply and would not be comforted when he was gone he could not bring him back to life but he could honour him as no sovereign had honoured man before the district where he died must bear his name and a city grow up on the spot where he was buried if the old nomes of egypt had their tutelary beasts which they worshipped as divine the antinoite might claim like rank for the new hero who had given it a name might build temples to his memory consult his will in oracles and task the arts of greece to lodge him worthily soon the new religion spread beyond those narrow bounds city after city of the greek and eastern world caught the fever of this servile adoration built altars and temples to antinous founded festivals to do him honour and dressed him up in modern fancy in the attributes and likeness of their ancient gods 
the sculptor's art lent itself with little scruple to the spreading flattery of the fashion reproduced him under countless forms as its favourite type of beauty while poets laureate sung his praises and provincial mints put his face and name upon their medals we may see the tokens at this time of an influence rather cosmopolitan than roman by his visible concern for the well-being of the provinces by his long-continued wanderings in every land by his hellenic sympathies and tastes hadrian lessened certainly the attractive force of the old imperial city and dealt a blow at her ascendancy over men's minds not indeed that he treated her with any marked neglect the round of shows and largesses went on as usual the public granaries were filled the circus was supplied with costly victims and the proud paupers of the streets had little cause to grumble the old religions of home growth were guarded by the state with watchful care and screened from the dangerous rivalry of the deeper sentiment or more exciting rituals of the east in her streets he himself wore the toga the citizen's traditional dress of state required the senators to do the like and so revived for a time decaying custom but the provinces began to feel themselves more nearly on a level with the central city every year the doors of citizenship seemed to open wider as one after another of the towns was raised by special grace to the latin or the roman status each emperor had done his part toward the diffusion of the rights which had been the privilege of the capital in olden time and hadrian made them feel that he was ruling in the interests of all without distinction since he spent his life in wandering through their midst and met their wants with liberal and impartial hand they looked therefore less and less to rome to set the tone and guide the fashions the great towns of alexandria and antioch the thriving marts of asia minor were separate centres of influence and commerce and greece meanwhile spectral and decayed as were her ancient cities resumed her intellectual sway over men's minds students of all lands flocked to her university of culture and the tongue which her poets philosophers and orators had spoken became henceforth without a rival the literary language of the world the speech of cicero and virgil gradually lost its purity and power scholars disdained to pen their thoughts in it taste and fashion seemed to shun it and scarcely a great name is added after this to the roll of its writers of renown in the sphere of law and justice another levelling influence had been at work which was carried further at this time the civil law of rome with its traditional usages and forms had long been seen by statesmen to need expansion in a liberal spirit before the courts could fairly deal with the suits of aliens or with new cases wholly undefined the praetors had for many years put out a statement of the principles by which they would be guided in dealing with the questions where the statute law would fail them or press hardly on the suitors and many of those rules and forms though at first binding only for the year had gradually crystallized into a system of equity which passed commonly from hand to hand though somewhat loose and ill-defined and with much room for individual judgment and caprice it was a gain to progress when salvius julianus an eminent jurist of the day sifted and harmonized these floating principles and forms of justice 
giving them a systematic shape under the name of hadrian's perpetual edict it was a great step toward the imperial codes of later days in which the currents of worldwide experience and greek philosophy were mingled with the stream of purely roman thought the emperor was the sole legislator of the realm the statutes were the expression of his personal will but the great jurists who advised him in the council chamber came from countries far away and reflected in many forms the universal sense of justice so far we have seen only the strength of hadrian's character to organize and drill the armies in a period of almost unbroken peace and give a tone to discipline which lasted on long after he was gone to study by personal intercourse the problems of government in every land dealing with all races on the same broad level of impartial justice to combine the rigid machinery and iron force of roman rule with the finer graces of hellenic culture this was a policy which borrowed as it was perhaps from the old traditions of augustus yet could be carried out only by an intellect of most unusual flexibility and force for the work which was to be done upon so vast a scale he had only limited resources he dealt with it in a spirit which was at once liberal and thrifty thus following in the steps of the wisest emperors who had gone before him in the first year of his reign he had remitted the arrears due to the treasury to the amount of nine hundred million sesterces burning the bonds in trajan's forum as a public offering to his memory the charities lately set on foot for the rearing of poor children were endowed by him with further bounties we may still read the medals struck in honour of his largesses of money to the populace of rome repeated on seven distinct occasions prompt succour was given with a kindly hand to the sufferers by fire and plague and earthquake in all parts of the widespread empire but to meet such calls upon his purse and to maintain the armies and the civil service he felt the need of frugal ways and good finance he revised the imperial budget with the skill of a trained accountant held the details in his retentive memory and would have no waste or peculation economy was the order of his household no greedy favourites or freedmen grew fat and wanton at the treasury's expense the purveyors of his table even found that they must be careful for at his dinners of state he sent sometimes to taste the dishes which were served to the humblest of his guests but great as were hadrian's talents and consistent in the main as was his policy as ruler we are yet told of many a pettiness and strange caprice if we try to study his real character it seems like the legendary proteus to take every form by turns and to pass from the brightest to the darkest moods by some inexplicable fantasy one of the first things we read of him on his rise to power is his speech to an old enemy now you are safe as if he could stoop no longer to the meanness of a personal quarrel he will not listen to the advice of a trusty friend to sweep out of his path three men who might be dangerous rivals but shortly afterwards rome heard with horror that the most eminent of trajan's generals cornelius palma the conqueror of arabia and lucius quietus perhaps the ablest soldier of his day with other men of special mark had been suddenly struck down unheard 
without any forms of legal trial on the plea of traitorous plots against the emperor's life resenting probably as a personal affront the surrender of the conquests which they had helped to win for trajan and despising the scholar prince whose great qualities were as yet unknown they had made common cause as it was said with malcontents at rome and joined in a widespread conspiracy hadrian indeed was in dacia at the time and soon came back in haste and with good reason seemingly threw upon the praetorian prefect in the senate the burden of the dark deed that had been done promising that henceforth no senator should be condemned except by the sentence of his peers he kept his word till his reason lost its balance but years afterwards the instinct of cruelty broke out in fearful earnest when old age and sickness pressed him hard and the reins of power were slipping from his hands his fear of treachery proved fatal to his nearest intimates and kinsmen to those who had secured his rise to empire or had shown their loyalty by the service of a lifetime as we read the story in the poor chroniclers of a later age the description of his personal habits is full of striking inconsistencies he lived with the citizens of rome as with his peers and moved to and fro with little state yet he was the first emperor to employ the services of knights for the menial offices of the palace filled hitherto by freedmen he would hear no more of the charges of high treason so terrible in days gone by he would have the courts of law to act without respect of persons but he organized a system of espionage of a new and searching kind and read the familiar correspondence of his friends twitting them even now and then with the reproaches of their wives meant only for the husband's ears he loved art and literature sincerely he liked to be surrounded with the men who studied them in earnest but they thought at least that he took umbrage easily at any fancied rivalry and was full of jealousy and unworthy spite it was dangerous to be too brilliant where the emperor wished to shine and there were few departments of the fine arts in which he did not find himself at home the scholar favorinus once was asked why he had given way so easily in a dispute upon a point of grammar when he was in the right and he answered with good reason it is not a prudent thing to call in question the learning of the master of thirty legions the professors of repute who moved his envy found their pupils taken from them or rival lecturers started to irritate and supplant them apollodorus the great architect was even more unlucky long ago in trajan's company he had listened with impatience to the future emperor's critical remarks and had told him to paint pumpkins and not to meddle with design years afterwards when hadrian sent him his own plans for the temple of aphrodite which he wished to build it was returned with the offensive comment that the statue of the goddess was made upon so large a scale that she could not stand upright in her own house the critic paid with his life we read the penalty for his sharp words even the glory of the immortal dead stirred the jealousy of the artist prince and he affected to prefer cato to cicero aeneas to virgil the obscure antimachus to homer he was said to be jealous of the fame of trajan and therefore to attribute to his secret counsels the most unpopular of his own measures by way of indirectly blaming him he would not have his own name put upon any of the public buildings which he raised while yet he was ready to allow some twenty cities to take their title from him 
it was a marked feature of his policy to be on good terms with the chieftains of the border races and to win their goodwill with ample presents a dangerous precedent perhaps for the tribute paid to barbarians by later rulers but after receiving one of them at rome with special honour he treated with contempt the robes of state presented to him by his illustrious guest dressing up in like attire three hundred criminals whom he sent to fight as gladiators in the circus End of section seven